the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We have a very special guest host today as we do our fair share of reminiscing. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us. And normally, I'm joined by Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey is not with us today. She is having, uh, she's got out of town, is having a good old time with her husband. And so we thought... How, who could fill Aubrey's shoes? Who could step in, grab the microphone, and who could come and fill two hours? Who would it not be awkward with? What would we do? And we thought there's only one person we could call right now. There's only one. We sent the bat signal up, and he answered yes. I am joined all the way from Tennessee by my original co-host, Ian Simpkins. Mr. Simpkins, welcome back to The Common Good. Thanks, man. That's literally the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me (laughs) in my entire life, ever. (laughs) It it is so good to talk to you, man, and have you back. Like We we exchange text messages. We do this and that, but... We used to spend two hours a day, every day, uh, staring at each other, whether in person or like we are right now on our computers. Like we learned we could do it over computers, over COVID. Like you got me through COVID. We did it. We did all this. Uh, we, you know, sent, I, I got, my children got older. You had children. This is, uh, it's nice to see your face on the screen today. All the way. Tell our people where you're calling from, though. Yeah, I'm calling uh, just south of Nashville. In a little city called Spring Hill, Tennessee. I have been there. Uh, it, it is a lovely place. We like to call that Illinois of the South these days because uh, everybody else uh, is moving there. So uh, let's get the particulars out of the way here because people could be like, whatever happened to that Ian guy, right? Did he like <laughs> lose his job? Did he say like, something good, he yeah, wasn't supposed to say? Uh, <laughs> But last some people heard some two years ago, you were my co-host and you were working at a church here in Naperville, but you're still pastoring, correct? Tell people about the church you're at. Yeah, I am at a a church down here in Spring Hill and Columbia called The Bridge. And uh, we have a a kind of unique leadership model. So we have two lead pastors. Uh, My role is lead pastor of teaching. And then we also have a lead pastor of strategy. And it's a trip, man. Like you were saying there's so many people from other parts of the country. Like the yes. amount of transplants in our region is bonkers. It's it's wild. Uh, but it's also a really cool opportunity for the church, though, because everyone's new. It's like everyone's longing for, at the very least, like friendship <laughs> yes. or, or, or community. And like, you know, you mentioned Spring Hill has grown so fast. Like the most recent stat that I read was something like, 800 people a month are moving to Spring Hill or something, which is not a big city. So yeah. It's, Feels like a cool opportunity. The the team here is amazing. Anything that's good or healthy about the church, 
was good and healthy before I got here. Like I, I regularly tell people I can't take any credit for whatever you like because it's it's just such a killer team. That's awesome. Such a cool church. Yeah, it's awesome. I would like to take a little bit of credit because you did call me and you were like, I don't know what to do. And I said, that sounds like the greatest church ever for you, man. <laughs> I do remember that. I give people your phone number when they come from the church. This is the guy you should be talking to. I said, I don't know. I don't know much about Tennessee or this and that, but as you described it, I'm like, did you write that job description for yourself? (laughs) My wife said the same thing, actually. That was definitely a kind of, I don't know how you are in sort of your spiritual formation, Brian. I tend to need to be like pinned to the mat when it comes to like being obedient. I wish I was one of those. The Lord laid it on my heart, and I was immediately obedient. Uh, my journey tends to look a little more like God's got to wrestle me to the ground first before it's like, hey, this is, what, this is what's happening. This That's is what right. Doing. Uh, and I will just the state of our lives right now, if people could see, because you didn't come up to Chicago to do this show, we're doing it over the beauty of technology. Uh, I have a whiteboard behind me that's just white, and you have the greatest office setup I've ever seen for a pastor behind you. Books and plants, couches and chairs. I'm, I'm picturing there's a hot tub just off yeah. the camera there. <laughs> No, I'm nice. looking at a whiteboard right now. We both have whiteboards. <laughs> we both have white. I only have a whiteboard, though. <laughs> All right. So the goal is to reminisce a little bit today, yeah. and we're also gonna we're gonna tackle some heavy stuff. Like I'm, we are like we're gonna tackle what happened in Memphis, down in Tennessee, not in your neck of Tennessee, but in Tennessee over the weekend. We are gonna tackle that a little bit later on. But I do want people to leave here going. Oh, it's good to hear Ian again. It's good to hear where he is. So uh, let's tell our story of of our coming together uh, that began with, let's see if you remember this. They were starting to, tr- we had both been told that they wanted us to kind of just do some shows. And yeah. we got this sense that we were being tried out for something, possibly uh, a new show or something. But at the time, they didn't tell us. They wanted to have some like a solo show. Right. And at the time, they didn't tell us that anybody else was trying out for this show or like being tried out. But they didn't think enough as to not put our tryouts back to back every week. (laughs) And finally, you and I put it together in the hallway. We went, are you? (laughs) Yeah, you too. And then it was like, oh, this is like this is something. So. A, a beautiful, a beautiful uh, 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 working relationship came out of that, but that was a little awkward start, wasn't it? I, I, I think your self awareness far exceeded mine. I don't think I pieced any of that together until they had us do the live show together. You and I were both recording pre-recorded half-hour slots that I think were airing at three in the morning or something. Like, <laughs> yes. We were told explicitly, no one's going to listen to this. Don't worry. I was like, cool. I'd love to commit some time and energy to that. And when they they were in the studio, they said, hey, do you guys want to do Thursday and Friday of the drive time show? I was like, that does not sound like a good idea. I don't think I should do that. (laughs) So I had no clue. I had no clue that there was any kind of tryout. I thought it was like, oh, these two jokesters would be fun together. Let's give them a shot. And I do remember that – that very first uh, show that they ever just said, hey, yeah, well, you want to fill in? Uh, I will always remember it because I drove from there to go see Bon Jovi, my favorite band ever at the United Center, oh, on that right. day. And then you I came were, back. You were, you were giddy as a schoolgirl, too. You were, like, real I was. pumped. 
I was. I was. I <laughs> There's that. no doubt about that. But then fast forward a couple months and you and I get they decide let's put them together. Not a couple yep. months. This was like a year later. They're like, let's put them together. And they gave us a show, which became The Common Good. I would like to tell everybody that whether you like the name or not, it pretty much came from the mind of Ian Simpkins. Some others spoke into it, but The Common Good came from Ian's mind. They tur- We come in for our first show. We're both dressed up. Like, if they saw how we did shows now, it's a little different. <laughs> But like khakis and a button down, like looking nice. No, I'm, and, uh, I'm wearing a cummerbund and a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well have. They turn the show on, and uh, the first thing that happens uh, is that Ian comes on, and uh, I said, "Hey, man, we're on. It's a good show. Thanks for being here." And Ian, what did you immediately say? I, I like to say I really porky pigged the moment. I, went, I think what I honest, and I don't think this is an exaggeration. I said something like, "It's good, so glad, so good. It's glad to be here." <laughs> and I just stared at you like, "What did you just do?" And I was thinking like, "This is my first and last day on the air. I can't ever do this again." Uh, and then two more memories from the first show, uh, because. It wasn't just you who messed up in the first uh, segment, the first beginning. I then sent us to commercial, and I called us the wrong name. <laughs> uh, what did, what, did you call I the called us ground. I called it the. You're listening to the common ground. <laughs> but then one more story to just bring us fully back to our beginnings. Do you remember the very first caller we ever received on the air? Was it my uh, mother-in-law? It was not. It was a, a, a sweet lady who called because I just had done, we had just done a segment about funny stories about two teenage boys who snuck into a car lot and did all this damage. Right. And I made the comment, I would really uh, discipline my son if he did that, but I'd kind of feel kind of proud of him for knowing how to start the cars. This nice older lady calls and laid into me. Laid into me while my new co-host started going, you know what, ma'am? I really do agree with you. That was not appropriate. And I'm sitting there going, what are you doing to me? The reason I was doing that was because you were hosting that show and I'm watching the color leave your face in real time. You answered the call with such joy and glee. And as she's talking, I just see your face slowly sink. And I'm like, this is... This is one heck of a first day. <laughs> I mean, you were going, I'm never going to be able, I'm not going to be let back on. I'm like, I already made people angry. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> at least they're angry at a, the common ground, which wasn't a show. So. Common ground. They're calling for the ghosts of the common ground. And everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So. Oh, it's really good to have Ian Simpkins back on after all these years uh, to be back together. Now, coming up next, we're going to try to, we're going to try to go both ways today. Lots of laughs, lots of reminiscing, but then also, tackle the hard subjects of what's going on. And we couldn't go much further without talking about what happened in Memphis, Tennessee over this past weekend and over the past week. And uh, I just want to talk about how do we as Christians even process what we're looking at right there. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I am welcoming back all the way from just outside Nashville, Tennessee, uh, the former co-host of The Common Good, uh, Ian Simpkins. So we are excited to have Ian joining us today, uh, all the way, as we said, from Tennessee. If you want to hear all, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about what Ian's doing. I got, he's got three kids now. We're going to do so. We're going to spend some time later going, what's that like? <laughs> How's that <laughs> sanctification been? Uh, and uh, we're going to hear about Tennessee uh, as we like 
like to, we joked earlier about Chicago South. So we're going to talk about that as well. But Ian, I do want to turn serious for a little bit. And there's, it, it's actually interesting to have you on talking about this. I want to talk about just that horrific story out of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, uh, Tyree Nichols, who was literally beaten to death uh, by five police officers. And it's a weird thing, Ian. I have a vivid memory uh, of you and I doing shows. I think it would have been over COVID. So we were at our homes on the screen, like just looking at each other uh, when George Floyd uh, happened. And I remember not knowing I hadn't seen it. And you were like, we have to talk about this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then turned on CNN. and It was like, oh, wow. Uh, so it is you know, interesting to have you on here in the life of the show talking about this. But I, I don't even know how to ask the question other than to say when you I don't know if you have seen the video that came out. I couldn't watch the whole thing. It was just. It was just almost too much. But what was just your general sense, your your sadness, your feelings as you watched what happened in Memphis, Tennessee? Um, man, honestly, it's interesting that you mention like the struggle to watch the video. That was like one of the the prayers that I felt like just naturally um, emerged. I just I kept saying, Lord, like give us the strength to not look away. Like I was noticing my own proclivity, my own um, yeah. temptation, I guess, even. I don't know. I don't even know if that's the right word. I don't want to suggest that, like, hey, everyone needs to go and watch all of it. I know that it, it is uh, incredibly triggering, to say the very least, mm-hmm. at varying de- degrees for people. I, I just – and obviously this story is not about me in the slightest. I was just yeah. noticing my own draw to, like, I am too – heartbroken and tired to watch this and i just felt like the prayer that kept repeating in my head was like lord give give us the courage to not look away and and i know that like like even even um when the tragedy with george floyd happened if you remember that was when we we had made it you know on the show we made a hard shift to 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 hear from other black voices mm-hmm. and leaders mm-hmm. particularly in our city because you and I both felt this, I think this unified conviction. I like, I don't, I don't know what the world needs right now. Is like more talking points from two white pastors. <laughs> That's not to say that we didn't have uh, a perspective and, mm-hmm. and some things to say, but I think we both felt this conviction. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe we do more listening than talking right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling that again, to be honest. Like, um, the temptation to post about something all the time um i've gotten I, i've literally gotten hate mail for things that i've not posted or really like posted about this but you didn't post about that like that dance is is really strange and i'm and i i don't navigate that well all the time and sometimes it's like is it possible sometimes the world needs our ears more than our voice mm, you know like well put. Just, like the, i don't know the temptation that I at least feel at times, like I gotta, I gotta respond. I think it comes from a good place, you know. We're yeah, both pastors, yeah, so like yeah. people to some degree are looking to us to say how 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 are they gonna navigate this? How are they gonna? Oh, are they gonna use that word from this camp, or they're gonna use this slogan, or That's oh, that's so true, man. You know, people fill in all these dots, like oh, we said this and not that. Um, which again, this is not a pity party to pastors, but it, it sure. has become. In a lot of ways, like what part of what I did on Sunday 
we you know we begin every uh, every sermon with uh, just an open handed prayer, um, and the posture is a posture of letting go and a posture of receiving. And I said, right now, I know that for a lot of us, what it is that we're holding on to is a lot of anger, a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow. Mm. And, and I'm sure Aubrey would articulate this a million times better than I could. Like, <laughs> I, I think that our grief and sorrow and lament is as holy to God as anything. Mm. I also know that like, there, it's been true in my life where I've, I don't know, not known how to go before God with those things. Yeah, Feeling so like true. I need to either like, dismiss them or... Or the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And I think both extremes can feel real destructive. But, uh, yeah, I see that, especially it being in Memphis. Yeah. You know, it, that's far from where I'm at. Um, Tennessee's a, a long state, but it feels closer yeah. um, than, I, than I thought that it would. And it's like, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I, it I, is. I find so much comfort in the Psalms. Like, I feel like when the psalmist says, how long, O Lord, like, I, I just feel, yeah, I feel a lot of that. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. And I know Tennessee is big state, so it's not there, but it still has the name of your state, right? Like I yeah, remember right. like when I lived in New Jersey and something happened it way south, it's still New Jersey and you yes, still feel right. it. I love your posture. I remember when we did the George Floyd shows and others trying to like, yeah, well, we get paid to talk. And at the same time, I don't feel, I don't feel the, that I should be talking or I have, you know, that's, I'm not the one people should be hearing from, but you are a pastor and I'm a pastor and you're in the state where this happened. Uh, so let me ask you more of a specific question, less about trying to explain this or, or understand it. But, but when someone comes to you, like they probably have and say, pastor, I watch that. And I just ask myself, where's God? Like, hmm. how, how do we uh, how do we even process something like this in terms of humanity and evil? Not trying to explain what those officers did, because that's criminal. They should be in prison. They need that. That, yeah. that, that is answered that way. But congregant comes to you and just says, I don't know. I watch this and it causes me to question God. How would you process that conversation with them? I mean, honestly, and this is maybe not good pastoral counsel. When someone says... When I see this, I question God. I try to always say, that's understandable. Mm. Like, I think the last thing pastors need to be saying to people in the midst of, like, real grief or confusion is, like, that's the joy of the Lord is your strength. You need to shut those <laughs> doubts up and just keep tithing yeah. or whatever. <laughs> just um, keep tithing. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. the same coaching that a, a, um, a mental health professional gave me when, when you encounter someone who says, hey— I, I'm feeling really depressed because of all this that's happening in my life. And she says, my, my first comment to them always is, it makes sense that you would feel that way. Like mm. the very, the, just the human thing of recognizing that's not abnormal for you to see pain and evil and darkness and ask or wonder, even in anger, like where's, where's God in this? Mm -hmm. That's a normal human response. And I think we see that. And not only the, you know, the Psalms of Lament, but you, you have a whole book called Lamentations. You have Jeremiah. He's, he's saying stuff like, I wish I'd never been born, right? <laughs> the story of Job is is a quintessential story of uh, inexplicable suffering. And I think um, whenever I've taught on it, I try to make sure that our church knows that I, I, I have, I hope, a healthy allergy to sanctimonies and platitudes mm. like whatever the answer is to that it's not going to rhyme and it's not going to be an acronym 
And what I will what I will try to get to is 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 one that the Lord is near the brokenhearted, that He yes. saves the crushed in spirit. But two, that I don't know. Like, why does God allow pain and suffering? I don't know. But I do know that it can't be because he doesn't love us. Look mm. at the cross. So for me, mm. it's, it's less about, oh, let me answer each story of tragedy with a, a verse or an apologetic answer. For me, it's like, I've gotten real comfortable in recent years saying as a, pa- as, as a pastor, I, I don't know why. But here's what, here's what I know it cannot be. Because mm. when I look at the cross, I know that it can't be because he doesn't love us. So... I'm not going to dismiss your anger, your fear, your doubt, your rage with some bumper sticker theology. Um, we're going to pray for God's presence and provision, even in the mm. midst of, and we're also going to work for justice. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's two pedals of a bicycle. It's so um, exasperating to see these dichotomous, like it's either only thoughts and prayers or it's only yeah works of justice. I'm like, when I look at the history of the people of God, it's, they always seem to be in tandem. And I don't know why we think it should still be. I don't know. That's good, man. See that, that I don't mean to throw this at you, but that's what makes you a good pastor. I think you have a good pastor's heart that says, I don't need to have all the answers, but I can point you to Jesus. And I I do think even those of us living up North, we need to be praying for the people of Memphis, that that Tyree Nichols family. I mean, what they must be going through praying just for these people. Thanks, man. I appreciate your good words there coming up next. uh, When Ian was on the show, he loved to talk about the church and he also loved to talk about technology. So I found this wonderful article, Five Future Technologies the Church is Not Prepared For. Going to read that. And Ian knows I love lists. So we're going to do that list next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. I had to explain that you're in for Aubrey because people are like, is it 2020? What, what, wait, what just happened? Is this 2020? Is it COVID going on again? What happened here? Like the wrong episode. Speaking of COVID, by the way, do you remember the first week of COVID reporting we did? where we would always apologize, like, sorry, we're bringing up COVID for the third day in a row. It'll be it after this. Like, like so idiots. True. We had no idea. But us pastors were the same way. I remember it was like, what? So it's in March. And I remember emailing uh, all the staff going, guys, I don't think we're going to be back for Easter. <laughs> and I didn't know March. I meant, I didn't know I meant the following Easter. <laughs> yeah. And people probably thought you were like being overly cautious. When oh you my first gosh. Said that. Like, it was oh a, no, we'll be back by Easter. It all said they're like teaching you and I how to do shows from our houses. And it was like, <laughs> what is going on? What just happened? Off equipment, like shady drug deals. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> but you can't be near each other because you might get the plague. Like be out there. Drop. And then you move to Tennessee where it never even happened. So, Okay. You know, all, all right. Good. Okay. <laughs> Not Nashville. Other parts of That's Tennessee. Sure. Okay. <laughs> We're going to talk Tennessee later. I That's do want right. to know. I, I, I am going to ask you. I'll prepare you. How many of the uh, stereotypes of Tennessee are actually true? So I'll we're, start counting now. Got it. We're going to get to them there. Uh, but here we go. One of the people you introduced me to are his writings when you were on the show. is Kerry Newhoff, uh, leading podcaster, blogger, leadership expert, overall nice guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, this got me thinking. He wrote this. The five future technologies the church isn't prepared to address. So I thought it was an interesting way to go about this. Like, okay, uh, and so I'm going to read the five. 
and I want you to uh, take them. Uh, do you think we're not prepared or maybe even more importantly, why do we need to be prepared for that one at all? Like what, how's that changing culture? You ready for this? Yep. And you, you knew we were going to do a list at some point because I love <laughs> lists. love lists so much. <laughs> you used to just flood our show with lists because you knew it made me happy. <laughs> You're not wrong. All right. Number one, Kerry Newhoff says the all-knowing algorithm. He said, uh, basically, have you ever had those moments where you said our phone must be listening? And he goes on to say uh, what this means for the church. As machine learning algorithms improve, the church will face increasing competition from social media platforms, streaming services, uh, virtual reality metaverse experiences. Uh, In a head-to-head battle, a church that relies on entertainment and spectacle to keep people in the seats will lose out to tech companies that do it better let's just take these one by one what do you think of that one the all-knowing algorithm kind of basically being able to out entertain anything we do well you know he's he's canadian so i don't buy any of it (laughs) Um, just as a a rule of thumb no i i would i would agree with this point even if this wasn't his rationale for it i i think the um not to knock previous eras or strategies or methodologies I, I am having a lot of conversations right now with pastors, and I don't think this is a regional specific thing either, that the the old attempt to out-entertain them, and mm. we would probably never say that. Yep. Maybe a better word is like excellence. Excellence feels like the gateway word to justify <laughs> the it's... obsession over the wow. Yes. Um, uh, someone on their staff put it so well. They said something like, I think people are far more interested in presence than polish. I'm like, that's that's it. Polish isn't a bad thing. Doing it with excellence is worthy of our, that's, we want to honor God with our craft and with our resources. Yes. But what we're finding again and again and again is that the the real connection point, the depth of relationship and discipleship and formation is happening in, in real time presence, not because of how killer the, the event was, you know? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. The second one he puts here is this. Um, the rise of artificial intelligence. We're all kind of learning this with this chat. Yep. Uh, what's it called? MGT or something or other. Something like that. There you go. I got my number. My- Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> uh, but basically, he goes on to say, will you be able to tell the difference between uh, a, an AI sermon prep or sermon versus a regular sermon? He says, in the future, we will need shepherds, spiritual shepherds to guide us to deeper places of meaning as meaning is taken from us. How are you wrestling with just this whole world that's going? It feels like it's coming at us really fast. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm probably not wrestling with it as much as I should. You know, he, he kind of points out it's not so much that pastors and clergy need to worry about AI taking over their jobs. I would say that maybe the bigger worry, again, not to cite anyone specifically, but like, um, I don't know how to say it tactfully, like sermon plagiarism is not a new thing. No. And, you know, people have gotten uh, pegged for this, you know, big and small churches were like, oh, you outright copied that whole thing. I think AI, for the people that are wanting shortcuts, which is a whole other issue we could talk about another time, uh, chat GBT, I think, will be a real a real kind of temptation. Now, I, we've already seen it, like, in our staff. There are people that are utilizing it really, really wonderfully. Like, really? Someone, yeah, someone needed to, like, send a tough email to a volunteer that, like, we couldn't have them serving on the team right now, and they used it as a prompt 
that spat out some words, and they used that to kind of help frame. They edited it, but it gave them a starting. You know, sometimes just the blank page can feel real daunting. Using it as a prompt to like get your writing juices flowing. I yeah, that's not bad. In that way, and I think, ah, okay, that's a little bit like a a brainstorm, only with you know technology instead of people. Yeah. I just, I I really do wonder. And borderline worry that five years from now we're going to find out like that whole thirty-minute sermon was written by, by AI and you you passed it off as your your yep. that's a pessimistic read. I hope that isn't the case. I hope that there's like enough honest like burden for like what the pulpit is like what a yes. sermon is. Um, it'll be interesting for sure. It will be. Uh, my son, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but his English teacher told them the other day that she used it to try to try some stuff out. Hmm. She was basically telling them that in the future, until some of this stuff gets figured out, some of their papers and tests are going to need to be done handwritten instead of typed because they figured out using this technology, the, she graded the paper and it got a, the equivalent of a 95%. No kidding. And so she's like, until it, like we can work all this out, like figure out what this means. Because, uh, you know, growing up, we had, you know, cliff notes or whatever else. But now yeah. this is a whole new deal. Now it's like, write my paper. <laughs> like, yeah. And not only write my paper, there, there are other sites and sources that will rewrite your paper for you. So if you're ever concerned, like, oh, if five of these students use ChatGPT with the same exact prompt and the paper's going to come out too similar, there's whole there's all other sites that will scramble it for you and use synonyms and whatever. Like, oh, all way. these resources available, which to me sounds like more work than just actually writing the paper. <laughs> it does. It but, does. Uh, you know, maybe that's just me being old-fashioned. As you and I used to do with lists, let me read the last three for the sake of time altogether. Uh, number three, the sanctity of extended life. Basically, what happens as people are living longer? Uh what if by tw- the year 2100, which is not as far as you think, the average human lifespan, like some believe, is increased by 52%? What would that mean for our churches? Fascinating to think about. Wow. Uh, number four, genetic modifications are us. How's the church going to do when people can make genetic modifications and other things? And number five from Carrie Newhoff, join us in the cloud. This kind of uh, being apart from, from just being a around each other. It does feel, I'm going to give you the last word on this. There's technology to be embraced. The church probably throughout history has probably has a bad reputation for, Oh, those kids and technology, like anything, we should say, thank you, God for technology, but probably also show wisdom, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I don't know that I said it quite this bluntly a couple Sundays ago. I said, I think the greatest threat to Christianity isn't, atheism or secularism it's distraction oh wow and i think with the rise and all the like yes like any like anything they they can be an asset or a liability and i really do i made a joke earlier i do appreciate that someone like carrie is thinking at this level when mm-hmm. i think about like the average in my week i am not thinking all that much about like extended life and life in the cloud no. like i really appreciate that i do think my prediction in the next 10 15 years at least some of what I'm seeing is there's going to be an increased focus and attention on like true embodied presence. I agree. We will see these as extensions, even ministries of the church. But I think that we'll see an increased need for like 
like real face-to-face life on life in the neighborhood at the table kind of ministry. Absolutely. All right. Coming up next, since we were last together, not only has Ian's two kids gotten older, but a third kid has been added to the family. I am ready to hear about how parenting is changing Ian Simpkins and what is he learning as his kids get older. We're going to talk parenting next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Um, just coming right back. It's like riding a bike saying alongside Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. Just right there. Ian is calling us. He is through technology. He is joining us from just outside Nashville, Tennessee, where Ian is. Uh, what did you call it? the lead teaching pastor? Is that your title? Lead pastor of teaching is what oh, I think close. we actually call it. Clearly, I am not that good. <laughs> uh, at, at the bridge, a just a multi-campus big church down outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, how does that work? Do you preach at different campuses? Are there pastors at how does How do you guys do that? Yeah, not right. So right now the model is uh, uh, essentially a video venue, but the cam- there's a campus pastor that handles all the kind of pastoral care, cares gotcha. for the team. They're kind of the boots on the ground in that city. So any kind of contextualized work that we have to do, like, hey, what works here that wouldn't work there and vice versa? Um so everything else is live except for the except for the preaching right now. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure you can check out the bridge online if you want to hear Ian preaching. Uh, all right. Here's my question. <clears throat> Lay it on me. Since you last left us, when, when you left us, you had two sons. Uh, and, you know, they're pretty young. What? Maybe at the time they were four and two, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you've now been gone two years. So I'm good at math. That makes them uh, six and four ish. Uh, <laughs> and because you guys weren't doing enough change in your life, you and your lovely wife, Katie, added a third child to the mix. I, I, I congratulated you on the birth of your daughter. You then told me you had a son. So congratulations on the birth of your son. Thank you. uh, so tell us all about your family. And then I want Wanna, we're going to get introspective about parenting, but just tell us all about your family. Yeah, I have a so I have a, a five year old, well, I was a close. four year old, and a six month old. I should probably learn their names at some point. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Owen, Redmond, and Ezra. Uh, Redmond just turned four like a, a week ago, so that's that's a recent development. And um, it, it's a trip, man. I was telling you before we started recording. You know, we're doing the kid thing about a decade later than a lot of our peers, mm-hmm. and I fully understand why. Now. <laughs> like, uh, I am tired, and I can't even. If my wife listens to this, like, I can't even hold a flame to like the uh, just the sure. level of exhaustion that I know that she's feeling. She's crushing it. She's such a great mom, but it's it's definitely tricky though. When like a lot of the families in your church who have similar age kids, they're. 10 years younger than you. A lot of the people, you know, we were chatting. You got kids in college now. Yeah, we started yeah. the show. We were talking the licensed driving thing. That's right. I uh, might not be alive when that happens. <laughs> like, there's just so much. Yeah. You, you don't know. I will say this, though, before I forget. Like, yes, it's been real tiring. And it's hard to do because we just moved away from both of our families uh, in a new community. Trying to, you know, they're learning us. We're learning them. The two older ones have been the best older brothers. Like, oh, how cute. So caring and sweet and thoughtful. They'll be playing in the other room, and they'll unprovoked. They'll stop what they're doing and run into the room. You know, I'll be holding the baby, and they'll, like, caress his cheek, and they'll say, <laughs> we're so glad you're here, brother. I'm like, what? Who taught you that? Like, Record that, please. Sweet. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
That's, so that's been a joy because, you know, you read all these articles about like <clears throat> uh, the older ones are going to be all jealous and it's going to create <laughs> this weird dynamic. And they've just been the best. It's been. Oh, that's, that's been awesome. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. So uh, I will always remember your, the age of your second child because uh, your second child was born like two weeks after we started a show together. So our show is four years old. Your son is four years old. Is <laughs> basically right. <laughs> uh, is basically the way this has worked. Um, well, that's that's really fun. Let me ask you this question. Yeah, sure. like you said, I now have I have a college daughter and right. I my son who's now a freshman in high school, he, speaking of driving, he has his driver's permit. So we go yeah, driving wow. all the time. And my other daughter is in the eighth grade. So like you said, time marches on, man. But, yeah. uh, so, but this is a deeper question. What is exhaustion and parenting and moving and raising a family? What are you learning about yourself? Like what's, uh, what do you yeah. learn about yourself, about God, about all of it through parenting as you've now done this for six years? Yeah, I I mean it's it is easily the most sanctifying thing I've ever done. <laughs> like I, I legitimately, Brian, I legitimately thought I was a patient person until I had kids. Like that kicked up other things. I'm like, oh, I, there's a lot of impatience there that I have not dealt with. I you know, yeah. I thought I was a kinder person. It is also strangely the benefit, I will say this, like being a little older has its assets and liabilities, but like I had been preaching for a, a fair amount of time before I had kids. And I had all these people that said things like, you're going to understand the heart of the father so much more when you have kids. Mm. And I never believed them. I never. That probably made you mad when they said that. A little bit. I'm like, yeah. that just sounds like something you say to someone who doesn't have kids. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> yeah. It was about two milliseconds after Owen was born. And I was like, they were hundred percent right. I, mm. it's, that sounds so cheesy and cliche. This, this like blob of muscle didn't even have a name yet. And I was like, I would jump in front of a train for you. Like, mm. uh, you know, and I felt like God in that moment was like, that is a microcosm of how I feel about you. And I, it like, mm. wrecked, it like wrecked me, man. Cause I've never, uh, I'll get emotional thinking about it now. And he's five years old. I just have never, I'd never felt that before. I'd loved people. Obviously yeah. I just, it felt like a whole different gear. And if it, it legitimately changed my preaching, um, it, mm. it changes the way that I, I pastor people. I, I don't think drastically. It's not like I'm, I'm Buddhist now or something, but it's, it's there. There's just things about like they there's, they're at the age now where like if I'm talking to Owen, but also scrolling on my phone, um, he will climb the counter, grab my face and say, Papa, look at me. Like, no, <laughs> they're so dialed in, like, you're not actually here right now. And I need that. Like I, my yeah. soul needs that because a peer's not going to do that. He's not going to grab you by the face like, "Hey, I'm talking to you." You know, but like they just pick up on stuff. They reflect stuff back to you. Man. Oh yeah. Like they, that when when you see your own like brokenness in your child, and you have that moment, you're like, "Where did you learn that from?" Oh, you learned that from me. You learned <laughs> from me. <laughs> oh, the, like, guilty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I gotta go weep in a corner now. Like that is a yep. very trippy beautiful my house has never been messier oh yeah you know what i mean like yeah. that's and like learning to be you know i can be a little bit of a, a neat freak um so like just embracing the seasons of i don't know they like they notice stuff like i will go for a walk and and redmond will want to stop and watch like a little line of ants for 20 minutes <laughs> and I, I just want to hurry. I want to go into the next thing. That's all. Like my gear is always hurry. Yeah. Like forcing me to like, hey, why don't you sit down and watch some ants for a second? Like you're, it, it'll be good for your soul. And I just, I don't know. 
I am. That sounds so hokey. No, I totally get it. And now I'm the age where all I do is drive my kids places. So. Yeah, right. You're like <laughs> but, a chauffeur. But your whole like, you have to be careful what you're doing that's being formed in them. I told my wife the other day, uh, I'm uncomfortable with like our kids' um, connection to technology and their phones. Yeah. And I know a lot of that's generational, a lot of that's that, but a lot of that is what I've modeled for them. I told my wife, I think I'm pretty well addicted to my phone, and now I'm worried that I'm seeing that in some of our children here. Yes. And it just gets reflected. Well, we're happy for you, man. Your Thank kids, you, man. they're going to be driving soon, <laughs> and uh, they'll, they'll be doing that. Uh, coming up next, gonna, Ian's going to stay with us for the next hour. We're going to talk about Tennessee. We're going to play one of our favorite old games I used to play with Ian. But next, I want to talk a little football because we know Ian loves football. We're going to do Let's that go. next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 